0: welcome to dig it this is edge with my co-host cory lynn of Corey's digs hey cory
1: hey how's it going
0: it's been good it's been kind of a crazy week but a, a, a good one for me how are things on your end
1: going all right uh hanging in there I should probably let people know just because I'm not, uh, my brain's not really functioning the way it normally does. So when I talk, I sound a little choppy and scatterbrained and working out um, working out some health issues. And so, so you're going to carry me through most of this podcast. I do have a few key things I want to go over. So hopefully everyone can bear with me on that. And uh I, I've decided, Edge, that once I, I get through this and I have my full brain working again, I definitely need to write about it because I'm learning a lot along the way. <laughs> this right. has kind of been this has been like decades long um stuff I'm dealing with, some health issues I've been dealing with for a long time, but the last six years I've really I've really fried myself out. And so I've I've got a good team I'm working with on it and uh One little interesting discovery I made recently is I can't drink caffeine because it gives me heart palpitations. So I've been on decaf for years and uh, there's a lot of chemicals in that process. And so I found this decaf coffee. And if anyone's familiar with this process, definitely uh, leave a comment. Let me know what you think. But it's called the Swiss water process. Have you heard of that? No. No. So instead of using all the chemicals to like extract the caffeine from the beans, it's just straight water that's used. So it still goes through this kind of like this heating process and whatnot, but, and then like a rehydration, but it's just water. So there's no chemicals used. So I was going to give that a shot and people probably wonder why the hell would you drink decaf anyway, but I love the flavor of coffee and I like a hot drink when I'm sitting here working, you know?
0: yeah yeah well so, yeah maybe somebody has tried it before and can leave something in the comments to let you know you know if it's yeah any good. I'm,
1: I'm sure there's people out there that have researched the heck out of the whole processing of that and so that would be cool yeah nice and then i also wanted to mention uh so we got an email here let me go to this let's see We got an email from one of our listeners, shout out to Shelley Bayless, who recently started a Substack and is working on a website, and it's pretty cool. Um, You can check her out over at uh, the Patriots portal on Substack, and she's working on uh, introduction to psychological warfare, coercive control, mind control, and social engineering. And going to be putting together some pretty interesting stuff on how to combat all of this. So definitely check that out. Just wanted to give a shout out to Shelly on that.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and we've got several things we're going to go through today. Um, So we're going to talk about how the morally and financially bankrupt California is moving Mm -hmm. forward on reparation plans. We're going to talk about how the media reporting on race baiting and transgender issues has just skyrocketed over the past 10 years. And I know that you wanted to draw some correlations with your transgender report, Corey. And then we're also going to talk about this massive report called the censorship industrial complex. And we're going to get into Two really important reports on the Biden crime family and the CIA plot to rig the 2020 election. And we'll finish up with some developments in the fight against BlackRock and ESG. So we got a lot on the agenda today. (laughs) Another packed
1: one. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so let's get into it. Um, So I guess we'll start with the uh, whole California reparations thing.
1: Right? Yeah, have insanity. you hear
0: Have you heard anything about it?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's it, utterly insane.
0: Yeah. So last Saturday, a California task force voted to move forward on a proposal to give Black residents reparations payments at a minimum of three hundred and sixty thousand dollars each, and up to one point two million per person. Okay, so this estimate, the estimates coming out now um, of what this would cost are somewhere in the ballpark of about $800 billion or two and a half times California's annual budget. So essentially, it would bankrupt California. But woke California politicians, they don't care because, you know, It's not their money. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, Yeah, I I heard that uh, they're looking to add taxes into other things that citizens would then be paying for this ultimately. Is that correct?
0: Well, I can imagine because they're just passing the buck on to uh, to citizens one way or the other, whether it's businesses right. or citizens' taxes, and I'm going to get into that in just a second. But So, the task for- force um, is moving forward on recommendations, and so these rec- recommendations by the task force will be presented to California legislature and- to vote on, and we'll just have to see if Newsom would sign it. So far, Newsom hasn't totally endorsed it, but clearly Newsom isn't worried about bankrupting the state either because right. California just uh defaulted on eighteen point six billion in debt. And as you had just mentioned, Corey, they are passing the buck of that default. Now on to employers. So a headline from uh, Zero Hedge stating California's recent decision not to pay back some 20 billion borrowed from the federal government to cover unemployment benefits during the pandemic will fall on the shoulders of employers. So. uh, Yeah, so this would be this is just it, it would be laughable if it wasn't so utterly destructive, I mean, we're watching banks, multiple banks in California collapsing left and right. Businesses are fleeing the state to go to red states for, you know, a better financial climate there in in red states. And the state can't even pay its current bills. But they're seriously considering now Paying every black resident somewhere between three hundred and sixty thousand to one point two million—it's absolutely ridiculous. And uh, you know, it's funny. Even California was never even a slave state, but even if it yeah. was, this proposal would just be—you know—insane, regardless.
1: Right, right. Just the, the the agenda and the divisiveness and the division, and and we'll follow up with some great charts having to do with this when you're done with this.
0: Yeah. I'm all done. So yeah. Oh,
1: okay. Okay. So if you can go to, uh, I can never pronounce it. Kanoko, Kanokoa, the great did a fantastic thread. And I just want to go through this because this is, this is how we see when, you know, how the media pushing the narrative for the globalists, the politicians, the, uh, of course, Hollywood joining in. And I'll show examples of that when we get to the transgender graph. But this, this thread is primarily on, you know, racism and how this was stoked through media. And it's, it's quite, you know, me, I love, I love like charts and visual aids. So if we go through this, We have, you know, look at the increase of news articles mentioning white privilege, systemic racism, diversity and inclusion, and unconscious bias. And it's, let's see, let me click on this so I can blow this up. Uh, So we got, I mean, a huge jump, but primarily what you're going to see is almost... Every chart in this thread, the major kickoff is like 2013-ish. Yeah. You know? so it started a little before and then it really amped up after. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. Hmm. Yeah. yeah
0: when was, was
1: when was Obama in office? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> who was who was stoking all the uh racism? And that's not all. He also was the first one to push the term gender identity and pushed a whole bunch there but that was after the Clintons started pushing it so so we'll get into that in a minute so then we look at I mean we're talking huge huge jumps here we look at the increase in the number of news articles mentioning whiteness intersectionality critical race theory and diversity training and the news sources I should I should say here let's see did we cover the news sources yet let me scroll back up i know he's got like new york times washington post um are these on here or did he just do a conglomerate of all of them
0: i think he did a conglomerate this one here um outlines specifically new york post los angeles times wapo
1: and wall street journal yeah that one by the the rabbit hole go back to that one a quick sec um and you'll see like wall street was really lagging behind there in comparison, uh, but it's, it's just astronomical, the increases. We've got uh, Los Angeles Times between 2010 and 2020, a 756% increase in using those terms in their articles. And then, of course, you know, followed by the New York Times at 712% uh actually washington post was had a smaller increase than the wall street journal there as far as percentage goes so so moving moving on uh to let's see we were at number three so this is specific to the new york times uh mentioning discrimination social justice people of color and racism and once again if we look at this the uh so discrimination, yeah, it kind of bounced around between the eighties and two thousand and then started to kind of slope down and then twenty thirteen boom just skyrocketed and and these charts go through twenty eighteen so uh same thing with the other terms you know social justice, racism, people of color twenty thirteen and if you go back and you start looking through, you know, you keyword search, uh, Barack Obama, videos, speeches, talking about racism, boom, you're going to see a lot of that. Right. So, um, which is kind of ironic, you know. hmm Yeah. <laughs> black president, white right. president, but okay. Everything so,
0: they do is the opposite. So. <laughs> I know, <laughs> i mean like we, now that we,
1: i've gotten into office and i've been elected as president let me tell you how bad racism is in this country
0: and let's make it worse let's figure out a way to make it yes. worse than oh, it yeah. is now
1: oh yeah so the then draw we racial, to,
0: racial divides
1: that's right so when we get down to number four and we look at the charts there that's where they included one on transgender and again same same time frame However, let me go over to my, uh, my timeline of my four part transgender report I did back in, uh, oh God, I don't know. It was either 2018 or 2019. And it's funny because when I saw this chart, I was looking at it thinking, hmm, so 1993 is when we start getting a slight uptick. And once again, you know, it, it does this continuous climb all through the Clinton era and, when we hit uh, 2013, once again, boom, skyrockets. So this was very, very strategically planned. And I have on my timeline in the transgender report in 1993 was the beginning of the hardcore political push on it. That was when Roberta, uh, oh gosh, Actenberg became the first openly gay or lesbian person to be nominated by the president and confirmed by the U.S. Senate, which of course she was appointed by Bill Clinton. Um, In 97, we get into the second phase of the Hollywood push on this and through Ellen DeGeneres, who later was given the, what's that called? That Obama gave her the medal.
0: um, Oh, yeah, Medal of Honor. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And then in uh, 98 is when the discrimination push uh, for future legislation came into play. So then in 2000, And it's funny because if you follow, if you were to follow the little map of this uptick, you have Hillary Clinton became the first first lady to march in an LGBT pride parade. And then 2002 was the legislation push and and so on and so forth. And we get into uh, and and I should mention just prior to that, just a few years prior to 1993 is when they were pushing the puberty blockers um, for Central Precocious Puberty under the guise of that to later become the puberty blocker blockers for gender dysphoria. So if we move up through, let's see, 20 push to uh, back up 2008 backup support to to start altering and transitioning children, uh, which actually, sorry, I know I'm all over the place actually in 2007, that was the big push for children to change genders. It goes back that far as young as three years old. And I, you know, I cover this a lot more extensively in the report here. This is just the timeline. And that of course was the first youth gender clinic clinic, which opened at Boston children's hospital. So, uh, let's see, we start moving into the laws and then, you know, Obama pushing it and he, uh was pushing for same-sex marriage and gay rights issues and uh was the first president to start using the term gender identity and so on and on it goes but but this timeline totally coincides with the media because the politicians and hollywood and the medical institutions and universities of course all work with the media to push the narrative so right
0: yeah you can see the huge spike in the transgender uh movement in media being portrayed in media and uh since it, i would say around 2013 obama all through through that time period it's spiking then somewhere around ooh 2016 2017 ish it takes this mm-hmm. like dive which again if you're looking at presidencies that's an interesting um right <laughs> right yeah that's a, another interesting data point because obviously that was during the the trump administration and then i guess if this if this chart were to continue on because i guess like you said it mm. it cuts off around 2018 i'm sure you'd see another huge spike again um, you know, since then, since uh well, yeah, office. it would
1: it would it would be like off the hook by now because mm-hmm. it's all that's being talked about. And what would be really interesting is I would love to see side by sides of charts of the use of these terms across social media because we're ultimately fueling the fire. But in order to combat the narrative, you know, you have to use the same terminology. So it ends up fueling the fire and it just, it never, it never fizzles out. So right now, I mean, it, it would be through the roof. You can't go onto any social media site right now without seeing some talk about transgender. And in most cases, people combating it because they see what they're doing to children and what this agenda is really about. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Very interesting. So going, going back to, um his thread, um he, he noted this was an interesting one in point five where for the better part of the last four decades the issue of racism was not considered by the vast majority of Americans as the most critical problem facing the country. And yet, you know, they all keep pushing it and pushing it. Um let's see point six we actually just, just showed uh earlier on the other tweet there. And then 0.7 in 2011, just 35 percent of white liberals through thought racism in the United States was a big problem, according to a national polling. By 2015, this figure had ballooned to 61 percent and further still to 77 percent in 2017. And it, it's because of the constant media push. Yes, all over, they just flooded. And they yep. just get inside people's heads, and it's it's really it's disgusting.
0: Yeah, when you sh- when you look at this, which is perception um, mm-hmm. of the public, and you compare it to media reports, it shows the correlation there about how much that influences perception.
1: Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Uh, so we have yeah, so we have the charts. I mean, we don't have to go through every single one, but. Uh, We can we can post the threads so people can go through these and grab these charts because these are these are really good, Um, really good proof here. So between 2013 and 2019, The New York Times and The Washington Post increased their usage of terms, systemic racism, structural racism and institutional racism by roughly a thousand percent. And then. they also increased the usage of white privilege and racial privilege by 1,200% and nearly 1,500% respectively. So, you know, 2013 was was the big spike there. It's, it's quite obvious what was uh, attempting to be done.
0: <laughs> yep. It really is. And it really puts it into perspective how powerful the media is And how compromised they are, how um, they are basically um, just another arm of the deep state. And um, I know that you had looked over this report. Um, It's called the Censorship Industrial Complex, the top 50 organizations to know. And um, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about it, but I'm seeing here, um, I'm noticing that Technofog, um, Mm -hmm. were they part of writing this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There were, there were, I believe eight people that worked on this for months to put this together. And it's, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant report. And I haven't had time to read the entire report, but I saw the little graph and I saw, I love how they outlined this and Matt uh, Taby, I'm sure I'm not saying that right. You know, did the whole introduction on this. And what they did is is they broke it down these 50 key organizations people really need to um i mean not necessarily have to get to the nitty-gritty of familiarizing yourself with every single one but at least know their names and understand what they're doing um and so what they did if you scroll down is they list them one at a time and they break they give you the link to their site they they break it down into little subcategories you know uh like what they're about what it is they're doing what it is they're selling um specific quotes or charts that they're they're you know they're propaganda um how it is they're trying to control um the narrative or censoring people uh so it's it's really an extensive report i love the little graph that they did showing the organizations and if you click on it uh you can see it at full scale the one at the very top there the censorship industrial complex and they break it down by, you know, government foundations, big chat, big tech, NGOs, all the wonderful fact checkers <laughs> that are hogwash, uh, think tanks, academic initiatives, and for-profit. So I highly recommend. I actually added it to my four diggers uh, resources on my website. That's how much I liked this.
0: Yeah. Cause this is an excellent resource. Each, each one of these, um organizations or, are involved in the censorship apparatus um and each one of them merits digging into and right. of course you know yeah we've dug into darpa you know or, or the dod or you know All some the of foundations
1: these organizations and big but tech. You could, yeah
0: but y- there's there's definitely going to be some organizations on this list um that people may not be aware of and that we could dig further into right Um, and they
1: call it the citizen starter kit to understanding the new global information cartel love it
0: yeah so really good resource and definitely recommend people checking that one out and we could leave a link for that one as well in the description right yep sweet all right so kind of talking about this Censorship industrial complex is part of it. it, It's actually just one arm of this um, administrative state or deep state, whatever you want to call it, apparatus that's in charge. And um, some important reports that came out this week, there were two of them kind of breaking down how uh, the Biden crime family Um, is involved how the intelligence apparatus is involved so one of the one of the reports is the coming out of the uh, subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government Um, and that was put out this week on how the cia conspired with the biden campaign to make up a fake story about hunter's laptop being russian disinfo sound familiar i mean we've been through this before haven't we oh
1: yeah
0: (laughs) but this um this whole scheme it it included of course the signatures of 51 intelligence officials signing on to a letter that was used by the biden uh, campaign to lie during a debate uh, about the criminal activity that he and his family were involved in as evidenced by the laptop So the intelligence letter signed by 51 intelligence officials has also been used um, to force, and we know this, uh, of course, you know, Twitter and other big tech companies um, and the media from censoring the Hunter laptop story just prior to the 2020 election. So essentially the CIA was – this was a – completely a CIA operation to interfere in the 2020 election. And what's important about this report, because I know all of our listeners already know this, is that this report provides the receipts. We have the emails, we have the texts to to prove it, thanks to this report. So... um We actually have the um, the emails and uh, from Blinken. Uh, So Blinken, who was then um, a Biden campaign advisor and is now the secretary of state, um, he was the impetus behind this entire plot. He was Mm. the one that got the ball rolling. And this. uh email here on October 17 2020 uh to Michael Morell is the proof of that um of when this whole Russia gate 2.0 um started and then uh Morell was the former CIA acting director He's the one who coordinated the scheme. So far, the CIA and Blinken have refused to turn over their documents on this operation. Uh, no shocker there. Um, however, uh, thanks to these emails and text messages, we can see communications between the former CIA director and intelligence officials who conspired in the plot to discredit Hunter's laptop in order to interfere in the election. So, in the email, to john brennan uh the former director of the cia morale specifically states that this letter that they're putting together will be used to help biden in, in the campaign in the debate and john brennan totally agrees and signs on It's like great idea good initiative hmm. um so they all knew that this was um really not about it actually being um Russian disinfo, they knew that it was about being um a, a political talking point, and so from the very beginning, so um in another email, morell blasted to several um, CIA and Intel officials. It explicitly said the same thing that this letter would be used to help the Biden campaign in the debate, and that they had really no evidence. Um, this was russian they just had it just has a feel we believe we feel the russians (laughs) were behind it um and so they knew it they knew uh very clearly um that this was just to sway the election and then in an email uh to james clapper uh clapper not only signs onto the operation but makes editorial changes to the letter because the lie wasn't good enough for clapper he wanted the verbiage to be even stronger so he says so michael Morell says you know can you sign on to it and um and Clapper says, you know, I just, sure, I'm glad to sign on, but I have one editorial suggestion for the letter. I think it it would strengthen the verbiage if we say this has all the classic earmarks of Soviet (laughs) Russian information operation rather than the feel of a Russian operation, right? So you can see behind the scenes how they're all conspiring here with no evidence, and Completely to just sway the election, um, not because it has anything to do with Russian disinformation. So right. the former CIA um, director Morell then directed um, directed the uh, former CIA deputy chief of staff and senior advisor to the CIA director. His name is Nick Shapiro. Um, to Uh, to shop this out, to run a Mockingbird media operation. So Mm. Shapiro shopped it out, um, the Russian disinfo story, to Biden's and the CIA's plants in the media. And the Biden campaign preferred actually that a a certain WAPO reporter take the story first. So they shopped it out. The CIA shopped this story out to WAPO, Associated Press, and Natasha Bertrand over at Politico. And bingo, of course. Natasha Bertrand picks the story up. And no surprise there, because Natasha Bertrand was one of the key players in the media to push the false steel dossier that was the entire foundation mm-hmm. of the original Russia hoax. And here she is again, in the middle of Russia hoax 2.0. So we now have proof that this was a CIA operation to change the outcome of the 2020 election. And I understand that uh, when people hear this, there's real frustration by the public. Um, People saying, you know, nothing's ever going to be done about it. Mm -hmm. And I understand that frustration uh Mm -hmm. and particularly under this doj uh that that's true we'll never see prosecutions of these criminals um however we have to keep fighting and restore the republic from the grips of this deep state intelligence apparatus and the media censorship and propaganda apparatus um One thing we can do, and um Cash Patel brought this up the other day, is we can um pressure Congress to remove the funding stream of the intelligence officials who signed this letter, uh, thereby revoking their security clearance because these officials still have security clearances of and so. One way to do it would be for Congress um, using the power that they have um, to re- remove the funding stream, which what would thereby revoke their security clearances. Um, so that is something I think that is a possibility we can look into. I understand the frustration people have with there being very little justice, yeah. but. Uh, but moving on. We are right
1: there with you. <laughs> yes.
0: Mm-hmm. But moving on. Um. So there was a second bombshell report that came out this week from the Oversight Committee. And this report actually outlines the Biden crimes family's, uh pay to play scheme, which began when Biden was senator ramped up during Biden's vice presidency. So this report and this investigation by the House Oversight Committee um, is into Biden himself, President Biden, resident Biden. Um, So uh, it's not just his family members. It's they're targeting Biden and they're showing how his family ran a whole criminal operation even going back to when he was a senator and all throughout his vice presidency. So the committee report outlines bank records showing that nine Biden family members were involved and they used at least 21 different shell companies to launder over 10 million in bribes from foreign nationals while Biden was VP and the nine family members include, of course, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's brother James, of course, we've heard that name before, James's wife Sarah, and Bo Biden's widow or Hunter Biden's girlfriend, either way, same girl, Hallie. Right. Uh, Hunter's ex wife, Kathleen, Hunter's current wife, Melissa, and Two of Biden's nieces or nephews, they didn't specify exactly who, and one of Biden's grandchildren. So 9- nine-
1: You said it was 11 million. I'm surprised it wasn't a lot more than that, or well, that's all they were able to catch.
0: That is all that they have recovered from the bank statements that they have subpoenaed so far. Okay. The investigation is ongoing, and this is actually a preliminary report. They expect to have more as they subpoena more bank records. But so far, here are the 21 shell companies that the Bidens set up and going back to 1998, Two of them were during set up during the time that Biden was Senator. Three uh, were set up while he was, you know, ramping up running for vice president. And then all of the rest of them, 16 of them were during his vice presidency. So we have the wow. receipts again. We have the receipts. So the bank records show that um, that. There's millions transferring from Chinese nationals and companies linked to Chinese intelligence and the CCP. And then the money was flowing through multiple shell companies to launder it before it ended up in the pockets of multiple Biden family members. And this is what the intelligence community was trying to conceal with the Hunter Laptop Russian disinfo story. The right. fact that it's that it had that solid, we have solid proof. The Biden crime family has been uh, bribed for years to sell up the country to the CCP and pretty much any other country willing to pay the big guy. Right. Uh, but bank records don't lie, and people really need to wake up because we are. Um, it, it's being all laid out there you, for everyone to see: all the texts, all the emails, all the bank records. Uh, You can't deny this, that at this point, we are being run by a criminal syndicate, the Biden crime family, and an intelligence apparatus. And people need to really start waking up to this and getting involved before we lose the republic. I mean, I don't know how much more evidence you need. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's frustrating. Uh, Um, But I have... I had uh, one more thing I was going to go over that is um, a little bit positive. And I guess the positive, the silver lining of all of this, is that we are having these uh, investigations now that we have power in the House. Um, so this is actually getting exposed. Um, so that's the positive silver lining.
1: Um, another. Well, um- I, I wonder what, uh, have you looked at, you know, CNN and, wapo and all those the wonderful fake news media to see how they're covering this story how they're spinning it
0: well first of all they're they're ignoring it anytime they can but yeah i've seen um I think I saw Byron uh, Daniels, I think his last name is, on CNN uh, the other night. And he was just blasting them, putting them in their place. So, um, yeah, they're not handling it very well. But I would say, on the whole, they're just um, ignoring it. They're trying trying to avoid it. Mm -hmm. And and coming up with their own scandals, uh, like, you know, Trump did this and that and all of that to to really drown out these these you know bombshell reports yeah yeah so um but also some some good stuff coming out of the the house as well um this week the house oversight committee held i held hearings with attorney attorneys general from utah and alabama and this was on esg practices uh, by mega money managers, uh, including BlackRock, and these AGs outlined how these giant financial institutions and asset managers—more uh, than 300 of them, uh, representing oh, about 59 trillion with a T in assets—have yeah. joined the net-zero asset managers initiative and um you know this is including blackrock and vanguard uh being you know the big guys in this realm um although vanguard actually
1: yeah didn't they pulled out yeah Mm
0: -hmm. they pulled out in december of 2022 and this was really after these attorney generals had put pressure on them for coordinating with other um, net zero asset manager initiative members to drive up energy costs to consumers. In other words, breaking antitrust laws. So um, these um, attorneys general um, really kind of broke it down in this hearing this week, outlining how the asset managers, these big money managers are violating antitrust laws by colluding to drive up the costs and energy to consumers and by forcing companies to comply with ESG standards. uh, They're also misrepresenting their investments by not really disclosing how these investments that they make on behalf of other people are really used to further their activist goals. And how these asset managers are violating their fiduciary duties to get the best return on their investments, and instead they're purposely investing in woke agendas and lo- that lose money. And right. um, spot on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this hearing was really designed to give lawmakers ideas on how to craft policy to fight this woke activism among banks, asset managers. And insurance companies so that they can actually create some legislation but meanwhile um these attorneys general are not um waiting around for congress to do anything uh 21 states um ags are making headway on fighting esg in march they signed this open letter uh warning asset managers that there's gonna uh there's an ongoing investigation into violations of antitrust laws Uh, For all the members who have signed on to this Climate Action 100 initiative and the Net Zero Asset Managers initiative. And just this week, actually, uh, yeah, just this week, um, these same AGs filed a motion to intervene in BlackRock's authorization through the Federal Energy Regulatory Agency to acquire over $10 million in voting securities in any public utility company. And so, by doing this, this move to block uh, BlackRock's ability to buy voting shares in utilities companies uh, would really squash BlackRock's ability to control utility companies through ESG standards that are essentially just going to drive up the cost of our utility bills and restrict our access to energy. Um, So yeah, they're actually making some real headway and making some, some, some positive movement in that area. And also I wanted to say uh, that just uh, last week in Florida, a bill was signed into law codifying a ban on investments using ESG standards in the state and local funds. But the bill goes beyond that uh, to protect consumers against woke banks and financial institutions. And it states here, um, so it's basically against the law uh, for banks and financial institutions operating in Florida to discriminate against customers based on religious, political or social beliefs, and it says here, including their support for securing the border, owning a firearm, and increasing our energy independence. It goes on to say here, this is DeSantis' uh, you know, um, publication on signing that law. Um, but it also states that um, the law prohibits the financial uh, institutions um, from operating in Florida um, to uh, to to use social credit scores and banking and lending practice practices that aim to prevent Floridians from obtaining loans lines of credits and bank accounts and we just talked last week about how jp morgan chase was doing exactly that how they were um, basically canceling uh, christians and conservatives and now right. that's been outlawed in the state of florida and it nice. also um it also empowers the attorney general to um you know for any vi- so what they do in this bill is they set up a review process of these financial institutions that are operating in florida and if any of them are in violation of the law the attorney general is empowered to charge them to the full extent of the law and so this right here sets a precedent and is also kind of an outline because as we just set- talked about there's 21 other states uh, that are interested in fighting against, um, you know, BlackRock's woke agenda and all of this ESG crap. So right. this kind of outlines how to set up the legislation. And I think that it should go even further about protecting people because really it's protecting, uh, you know, the the state's investments, but also um, I think it could go even further to protecting the public's um investment too so uh but it's a really really strong start so just wanted to give kind of end this on on a positive note
1: yeah that's good news and uh other states need to look at that and you know we need we need a website for firsts for all firsts for legislation when it comes to creating the state banks and the branches and um, pulling out of the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, uh, this, which you just went over. There's so many of them, the transgender agenda. There's so many of them where we have different states that have instilled new laws um, fighting against all these agendas of against humanity and we need we need like a single website where we're like here you go this state got the first for this and this state got the first for this so that all legislators can go in and go how did they do this how did they yep. word it let's take a look at this legislation
0: yep yep I've been researching a lot as you know um, mm-hmm. into state legislation on, on protecting cash on on recognizing gold and legal tender uh, gold as and silver as le- legal tender uh, removing tax laws um, against gold gold and silver. Um, uh, fighting against CBDCs uh, in, in legislation. And I found some really good legislation currently in, happening in states, moving through the process that other states need to get on board with. And right. so, yeah, like you said, if we, we need resources where um, state legislators can go in and say, what is this state doing? What is that state doing? How is this right. working, right? And get this sort of the ball rolling, but not just in the financial stuff, but as you said, in all the wo- crap and all the esg stuff and all of the transgender stuff and protecting kids from being groomed i mean there's a a host of things that we have to fight on the state and local level and uh we can protect from you know the crap that the um the overreach of the federal government
1: right absolutely yep we need to do that and so you're yeah you're working on that piece right now that'll be out in the next probably the next week or two right yep so that'll be a good one to go over in one of our podcasts.
0: Yeah, for sure. We'll break that down. And hopefully it's an excellent resource for people to see where their state is at
1: with yeah, these, on these issues. On, I'll add that into my resource uh, page, too. For those who haven't been in there, go to Four Diggers. Hit, click on the tab Four Diggers. I have, like, over 100 resources in there um, for research, looking stuff up, fact-checking, and, like, 98% of them are all free, open source. So. Nice. We'll add that in there for sure.
0: Yeah. And then you can use that as a resource to say, look, okay, this is where my state is at and how I need to contact my legislatures and and get the ball rolling on some of these key pieces of legislation. Or, hey, my state's not doing anything. What are these other states doing? Right. Um, and And make suggestions to your state legislature. Like, why aren't you proposing this? You need to get on the ball immediately with this stuff.
1: Yep, and here's the templates, so get to work.
0: <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right, guys, I think that wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us today on Digit. Please be sure to share this podcast. We're on BitChute, Foxhole, Gab GabTV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. No longer on YouTube, so please be sure to subscribe to our other platforms. And we'll see you back next time right here on Dig It. Thank you.